Again, Mark 7. Thanks again, Brian, for uh, reading our passage this morning. A little bit longer. Thought I'd pass that off. No, just kidding. But uh, Mark chapter 7. Um, I, I don't know about you, but uh, anybody like a germaphobe? Anybody a germaphobe in here? I got a, I got a couple. You're like, I don't want to admit it. because <laughs> You're like, why was I sitting by myself in the corner? There's a reason, okay? You know, I was trying to avoid people. Um, I would think most of us, maybe to some degree, I remember uh, in our home as we were having children, I think, uh, was it Levi, Amanda? I think it was Levi. Levi, I remember we were in a Chick-fil-A. We were in a Chick-fil-A uh, in the, the playground area. And I just remember at one point watching him, he like licked his fingers to like be able to pick up something off the ground to then stick it in his mouth. And I'm like, no. And, and, and you know, that was the second though. So the first, you know, normally as a parent, right, the first child, you're like all over it, right? You're like, no, 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 that's going to kill you. And you're trying to rescue them. You're trying to keep them. Second, you're like, whatever, he'll be fine. It'll be, it'll be good for his uh, ability to, to keep infections away. It'll be good for his immune system, those kind of things. Um, I, I know that that's kind of been the case in the, prog- in the progression of our children of like, you know, and then we had our daughter, Graceland, and it's like, you know, whatever. It seems, she seems to be fine. <laughs> like, every, you know, like, like she never gets sick. So whatever, it doesn't really matter. But I think, you know, a few years ago with COVID, COVID-19, obviously there was, there was a big push on keeping ourselves as clean as possible, like uh, washing your hands, uh, I remember we visited, a man and I, when we visited someone at our previous church who was in uh, the NICU, and I remember they had this sign, and it might be still this way, I remember uh, with, with uh, Austin and, and their, their daughter that was born recently as well, but they had this station, and the station, before you enter into, and now it's like mostly because of COVID-19, you're not even able to see the children in NICU unless it's your, the parents or whatever, so we were visiting, and we were going to pray uh, with them, and I remember going to this, this uh, hand-washing station that was kind of like in an enclosed spaces by itself as well before you could enter in there and you go and you're you're washing your hands and it had a sign there that you're to use the soap and then you just keep washing and you're like like this timer's going on you're like some of them had like a timer did that one have a time i think it did had like this timer uh that you turned on and you're just supposed to wash your hands and you're just washing like three minutes just still wash you're like i don't know what else to do with my hands i feel like they're already clean after 10 seconds of doing this but you just keep doing it keep doing this and keep doing this to try to make yourself clean so that you don't pass an infection to uh, one of these children that may be at high risk. There's something about cleanliness. There's something, I, I think, that speaks, and we see it throughout Scripture. There's this picture of cleanliness when it comes to spiritually speaking, but also we see it from a, a natural, physical perspective that there's a desire to be clean. There's, some, there's something in us that is repulsed by uncleanliness. For instance, something that keeps us away. We've seen it already in the book of Mark. Here's this woman, remember this woman who had this bleeding disorder for 12 years of her life. What did that make her? It made her ritually unclean, which meant she had to abstain from going to worship. She wasn't allowed to, by the traditions and the things, that she was not allowed to enter into worship. She was considered unclean, so she had to avoid. When someone contracted leprosy or sickness, they're to stay away. They're to isolate away. They're not allowed. You're to be outside of the city. You're not allowed to be around. And we might look at those things and be like, come on. But what do you do with your, with your children, right? When they show up, like when they show up, they've been sweaty. They've been playing outside a long time. And they, and they come and they sit by you. And you're like, can you like sit over there or go get a shower? 
uh, I remember just yesterday of experiencing that. I like, I'm like, can you get off me? You've been playing outside all day. You're like, you stink. You're like, stay away. Like, there's this idea of like, oh, you're gross because you're dirty or filthy. Go clean up before you can, you know, for instance, you know, when you go out to eat and those kind of things, you talk about, let's get cleaned up. And there's this, there's this natural feeling of like, I need to be clean. I need to present myself well to others or to be accepted by other people. I need to not smell really bad. I need to clean myself up, make sure I, have, I smell well and all those things. I'm clean and, and, and it's okay. And so there's this, this is what we normally experience in life. But here what we see in the spiritual context is there's something in all of us. And this is really what I want us to see this morning. It's a really, really simple outline. But his first is this, is what makes us unclean? What makes us unclean? And then, and then we're going to look at how we try to deal with our uncleanliness. And then what is the solution to our uncleanness? But first, I want us to see this, and we're going to see it by skipping, and we're going we're to bounce around through this passage because it's a really connected passage. Verses 1 through 13 are connected to 14 to 23. That's why we're covering a larger section of Scripture this morning. But notice, just skipping down to verse 14, notice what Jesus says. It says, and he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you. So this is to the whole crowd. Remember, we've seen this with Mark. There's insiders and there's outsiders. There's the disciples who are, who are getting, getting almost like special revelation. They're getting these parables explained to them. Then there's the crowds, the people around, when he would speak to them in parables, and they would be like, what does this mean? We're so confused. Well, here he calls the crowd to him. He says, hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. This isn't necessarily radical, but to the hearers of this day, this would have been very radical because the problem was, and this we'll see in point two in a second, is they had a lot of ritual laws and cleansing laws to keep themselves pure, to keep themselves clean, to keep themselves fixed up and and presentable and be able to be acceptable in their eyes to God. And so, but here... What makes them unclean? This is, is really kind of radical from Jesus saying this. Because we think of clean, uncleanliness as things that on the outside happen to us, right? Like, for instance, I'm outside and I, I run through a mud puddle and I go through this. I'm going to be covered in mud. That mud got on me and it stained me. So from a practical sense, we think of uncleanliness happening to us versus coming from us. And Jesus is saying from a spiritual standpoint, here's the, here's the radical statement. He's saying what makes you unclean is not the filth that you see in the world. It's not the filth of the world. It's not the sin of the world. As, as uh, Brian read earlier at the end of this passage, he says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. Verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Listen, here's what we tend to do, and I'm going to explain how we do this. In marriage, 
right? This is like the great barometer of, and it shows us our sinfulness, our selfishness. We get our sin is exposed in front of another. There is conflict constantly. Why? Because you have two sinful people living in a home together. Naturally, you're going to have conflict. You're going to have issues. You're going to have challenges and those kind of things. But here's the temptation. I've heard Paul Tripp say this in several of his books and his marriage counseling is this. We tend to look to the other person and we want to blame situations. We want to blame, oh, well, this happened and that happened. Or we want to blame the other for our own decisions or the, the choices that we've made. And over and over again, Paul Tripp is, is his wise counsel. And he's really, I would say, pointing to this passage in a sense. He's saying, look, the problem in your marriage isn't someone else. The problem, first and foremost, is you. You're a sinner, too. We are sinners inside of us. And here's what he's saying is the heart. The heart of a person is what makes them unclean. What makes them unclean is what coming from inside, not outside. It's not what you take in. It's a heart that takes in that. Does that make sense? It's the heart that says, I want this. This is radical because Jesus went to another level if you read the Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. When you read this, the law of Moses said, he would say this phrase over and over again, you have heard it was said, fill in the blank. You shall not, we'll give an example, you shall not murder. But what does Jesus say? He's like, the murderous intent is not the problem. Sorry, the murderous action is not the problem. It started first in the heart. He's saying it's the person who hates someone, who the hatred inside of you that leads you to, to take action. This is what Jesus is saying to this crowd. And he's saying there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. What's coming from the inside? You, your heart, the central station of your life, as, as, as the scriptures kind of, the way they describe the heart is like, this is like the real you. It's the inside of you. It's the control center for your life is your heart. And he says what comes from the inside is what makes us unclean. It's a matter of the heart. But here's my second point, I want to spend more time on this one than the first, is this, is how can we, or how do we try to deal, here's how we do this, right? How we try to deal with our uncleanness. Naturally, we try to clean ourselves up, right? We try to make ourselves a better person. We try to fix ourselves. We try to clean ourselves up a little bit. We try to make ourselves acceptable, presentable, which is exactly what the Pharisees did. Notice in verse 1, going back to verse 1, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled. <laughs> it's like, these people, why would they ever eat food with dirty hands? Now that might be a rule at your, at your table. You're like, children, go wash your hands before we eat. Good, healthy practice, nothing wrong with that. But why is this an issue? And you might be like, well, why is this an issue? Why were they supposed to clean their hands? Notice what it says. They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. For, verse 3, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly. Holding to what? The tradition of the elders. 
So what what does this mean? And first of all, where did they get this practice in the first place? Because the practice came from, in Exodus 33, the the priest was to wash their hands. The priest was the only one that's actually mentioned in the Old Testament about this, this specific ritual washing of the hands before handling of the bread. And so they... Because of this, they're like, well, and it's what and we tend to do this too. So, like, we can't look down on the Pharisees. We tend to do these things all the time. We, here's what they would do they were like, well, if it was good for the priest, it's probably good for us to do too. And so, naturally, they started, let's wash our, if the priest should do it, well, we should do too. That's a high standard. Let's have a high standard too. And so, sure enough, this oral tradition became the law of God in their eyes. So now it's like, well, everyone should be washing their hands because the priest should do it. Well, we should do it. So then naturally that became like this law. And really what it was designed to be is a fence. You ever do this? You know, you might have a, you know, you know, it's not necessarily like, okay, if I have this fence here, like I won't break the law if I go through this fence, but this fence is to keep me from breaking the law. It's kind of like a, give me some space, give me some room. Um, when I was a, a student pastor, many times uh, students would ask this question. They would be like, well, how far is too far in my relationship with my girlfriend or my boyfriend? They were like, like what's the, where's, the, where's the line? They want to know the line. And it's like, well, where's the line? Let's start with like, let's, whether you want to be at the line or not the line of what's crossing the line or not crossing the line. Like, naturally, we want to put some guardrails. We want to put some fences up to prevent you from crossing an actual line of sin. And so we'd put, like, parents do this, right? You put like a curfew, you put certain restrictions on things. Not because of that restriction means you break this restriction, now you have sinned against the holy God. No, you, you might be putting those to protect them from something. See, the Pharisees and, and the, the scribes and those, they were trying to put these fences up to protect people, I would say from a, with a good intention at first, to protect people from breaking the law. But these fences through tradition, as it says, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other, it says, traditions that they observe. And notice he lists them, such as the washing of the cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? You see, this is how, this description that we're seeing right here is exactly what we do as well to deal with our uncleanness. We try to make sure we're clean. We try to purify ourselves. We try to do these certain things and all these things to be acceptable before God and before Him and hoping that He will accept us or he'll, we'll be in right standing with God. And so we try to do different things. But notice the warning that Jesus says and the strong rebuke that He gives. He quotes Isaiah. This people, they honor me with their lips. What does that look like? What does it look like to honor God with your lips? It could be singing to you alone deserves the highest praise, as we were just singing. God, you deserve the highest praise. And you maybe raise your hands in worship and you sing to this God and you say, God, I love you. And you're maybe thankful and you're saying these things with your lips. But your heart is far from him. You may say some things with your mouth, but 
Is your heart captivated by God? Does the gospel press into your heart to where it leads you to devotion and worship of this God? Does it draw you closer in relationship to Him? Is there even a relationship with this God? Or is it literally just lip service? Is it like singing some songs about Him is great and you maybe feel good about it. The music feels good to you and you, you move with it and it, it moves your heart and you're like, yes, I love you, God. But then later in the afternoon, you're yelling at your kid. You're angry or you retreat away and you, and you look at something you know you shouldn't have looked at and you said some things that you shouldn't have said and you were greedy or you were just go through this list that he mentions in verse 21. You begin to covet, you want all these things and you forsake the Lord and you're pursuing other things to make you happy and all these things. Listen, these things are what's inside of a person. The heart and Jesus is saying, here, he's warning and he's rebuking, saying, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are as far from me. In vain. Notice this, what a sad statement this is. In vain, they worship me. It means nothing. It's vanity, it's worthless, it's meaningless. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That's a Strong statement of exactly, and it's a prophecy about what he's about to deal with. Because notice what he says. What happens with trying to be clean is you make rules and you make regulations, and they end up superseding the, the word of God or the commandments of God. Because notice what he says in verse 8. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. What can that look like? It can easily be. Some churches and other, we all have this kind of this pharisaical legalism type of thing in our hearts. It's so easy to do. You can think, well, only you have to wear a certain attire on Sunday. And that is what, and with a good motive, someone may say, you know, I want to wear a suit. And that's what I'm going to do. And they're going to walk in and they're going to sit in their suit. And they're going to enjoy and they're going to say, like, this is what I'm doing to an offer as a sacrifice of praise to God. And this is what I do. But what leads to the problem of this becoming this tradition of men and putting that weight on someone else is when our hearts look at other people and say, well, you should too. That's how you should live. That's how you should act. For instance, it goes like this, right? As you're trying to wrestle with what should we do for education of our children? Homeschooling is the way to go, and so you homeschool. But then what happens? You look down on someone else who chooses to go to public school or to Christian school or a private school. Or those of you that go to a private school, you say, well, no, this is the way to go. You need to have your children educated. They've got to have high education standards, and so we've got to do this. And you look down on other people for the way they choose to raise their children. No, it starts with the heart. You might be like, with the heart, why am I choosing to do something this way? There's no command saying how you're to do it. We're just commanded to love our children, to pass down these truths. If you're going to do that from great, great, whether you have them in public school or you have them in a private school or you have them in home school, you should still be doing these things, whether they're at school or but when they're in your home, you should be teaching them these things. But what happens is we make things and we put these, because that's what we do is we take the commandments of God and we might even go, try to, in our thinking, thinking we're going higher. That we're going to have a high view of the law of God. 
do you th- let me ask you this question. Do you think the Pharisees thought they had a higher view of, of, of law-keeping than Jesus did? The answer is probably yes. I think we can see it. They're like, why do you and your disciples not wash their hands? We wash our hands. Why don't you? You see, they were thinking they were having a higher view, but actually they were having a lower view because this is what we do when we talk about dealing with our uncleanness. You see, if there's a standard and we say, all right, here's the standard that I need to meet. Tell me, tell me is someone, can someone just put it in, in writing here? Can we just give me the short version of all the laws I'm supposed to keep? Write it on a list. Give me a checklist. And let's try to just keep all the laws that the Bible talks about. And so let's just marginalize it down. Let's squeeze it down and let's get it to, all right, here's 500 things that I'm supposed to do to be acceptable before God. Here's the law. Keep it. Go for it. And maybe you do a good job of it. You see the rich young ruler. We just lost the lights. I'm not sure why. I guess you can see me, so I guess that's fine. The lights are still on me, so that's good. Um, just lost my train of thought there. When we think of this passage, I can't help but think that how we want to be accepted. And so we will give me a list of things that I can keep. And if I can try to keep it like, this is where I was going, the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler, when he's like, what must I do? To have eternal life. What can I do to follow you? Like, I want to I wanna, I wanna be in relationship with you. I, wanna, I, want, I want to, what do I need to do? And, he's, and, and, like, and Jesus even responded to him with the commandments. And the, and the young Mueller, with zeal and trying to come from maybe even a perspective of genuineness, says, well, I've kept all those. What do I still lack? He's like, all right, you've listed off the Ten Commandments. I'm good. I haven't done those things. I've never murdered never committed adultery. Maybe he hadn't lied. Probably was lying in that moment, but who knows. And so he's saying, I've kept all these things, but what did Jesus do? He came after what? He didn't come after a list of things. He came after the heart. He said, go and sell your possessions and give them to the poor. Now, is there a law that says you have to sell all your possessions and give them to the poor? No, there's not a law, but he was coming after his heart. And he We try to deal with our cleanliness by doing things. This is why you have so many religions on the planet. All these religions are like, all right, here, give me the tenets. What are the things that I need to do to be accepted and get to heaven? What? Give me the list and I'll try to my best to keep them. But actually what you're doing is you're lowering the standard. Because what are you trying to do? You're trying to make it into things that you can do. What's the list of things that I need to do and let me figure out what it is I need to do and so that I can do them. What are you doing? You're trying to bring it down, boil it down to, all right, I can attain these things. But the reality is you can't clean yourself up. You can try your best. You can try to to wear the right attire. You can try to have the right heart attitude and love your wife and love your children perfectly and serve your, your supervisors. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it with a happy heart. And you're going to try your best to do all those things, but you won't. You'll slip up. At some point, you're going to slip up. Why? Because he's saying it's the heart, and the heart is sick. The Bible describes it as, as desperately wicked. Your hearts are deceptively wicked. 
You might think, I'm not that bad of a person. I mean, compared to such and such, I'm a pretty good, compared to my siblings, <laughs> you know, I'm this, I'm that. Now here, Jesus is saying, you leave the commandments of God. And he gives an example. I just want to cover it since it's in our passage this morning uh, as well. In verse 9, he says, And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish the traditions. Notice, they have now put the fences above obeying the law. And what does that mean? What does it mean, this fence that I'm talking about? And this, what's this commandment of men, this tradition that they do? Notice what he says in verse 10. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. So that's a commandment of Scripture, right? It's one of the commandments of Scripture. Honor your parents. And it was very much assumed that that did not just mean as little children that you're to obey your parents in the Lord. No. As your parents get older, you're to honor them. You're to help them. You're to maybe care for them. This is something that you do as they get older. It's a responsibility that I've got to see from my parents and my in-laws and how they took that very seriously. Taking care and trying to honor them in the best way they can. Humbling to watch. But here, notice how far they had gone, that they, they had established these, these traditions, and so they had made this tradition. Well, notice what he says, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. This is the warning from the Moses in the Old Testament. But you say, this, this fence, this tradition, this teaching of the elders, this commandment that's been passed down that's not in the law of God, says, if a man tells his father or mother, or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. So basically they're saying, well, I've been given these resources, but I'm devoting, I've told, I've told the congregation, I've told the, the priests and those that I, have don't, I, am, I am using this money to give it to the Lord. I am setting it aside. And what they were doing is they were protecting that from having and abdicating a responsibility of caring for their parents as they aged. What are they doing? They had made this tradition supersede God's law. But why? Again, trying to make themselves clean. Trying to make themselves acceptable, pleasing. Like, we have all these laws and they'll protect us from keeping the law. I mean, think about this. Think about how many laws they put up, these traditions they put up to protect them from breaking the Sabbath for them. I mean, I've mentioned those several weeks, I mean, probably a couple months ago now or three months ago or so, uh, where several of these, where it was like, it's kind of ridiculous laws. Like there was a handkerchief one, for instance. Like you weren't, like if you had to sneeze or whatever, you had to make sure you had it already on you because you couldn't go and get it. That would be like doing some work because you don't want to work on the Sabbath. And so avoid these things or make sure that like if you, if like this is one of them, like if you were to spit on the ground in, in the dirt. That you'd be tempted to just kind of rub your foot over it. Well, that would be like tilling the ground. Like, these are the, how crazy it had become that you've done work. Because they were trying to protect a commandment of, you're to rest on the Sabbath. But it had become a heavy burden, as we'll see as we look at the Gospels further. But it's an attempt to make ourselves clean. But here's the question. What is the solution? What is the solution to our uncleanness? I think we're fascinated with solutions in our home because our home, our clothes and our children, is like they just get stains on everything. Like, and I say children, okay, Coulson mostly doesn't. He's in the room, so it's not Coulson, it's not you. But, uh, but several of the others, <laughs> mainly one. It's the youngest, okay, so give that away. But 
Like, I mean, there's, it's like things just get, so, so you're like, all right, what, you're like researching hacks. What's the best solution, you know? And like, you're trying to be like, you know, too, too many chemicals. So you try all natural solutions or you try other ones. And you're like, I don't care. Whatever gets this thing out of the stain so that we can do whatever. Or maybe you're like, it's just worthless. Just throw it away. Let's get another. That's sometimes our choice. Eventually you're like, I give up. We've tried to clean this thing. And guess what? It's going to happen again tomorrow. So whatever. Who cares? Here's some dirty clothes. I don't care anymore, you know? Um, that's what I would say. Amanda does not do that. Okay, that's what I would do. If I were in charge, that's what I would do. But I'm not in charge of there. So, but, <clears throat> but we want to clean ourselves up. And so we're looking for what's the best option? What's the best thing that can help us? And we Google these things and we try different things that help make stains go away. But the problem is we can't get ourselves clean. We can try to keep these laws, and we can add traditions and all these things to help us try to keep the law and to do these things, but the problem is, is we just fall short. I want you to look at a passage of scripture with me in Zechariah chapter, that might give you some time to turn there. So Zechariah, it's in the Old Testament. It's not far from Matthew, okay? So you're really, really close, all right? So if you're just one of the last minor prophets. So you got Malachi, and then right before it is Zechariah, in Zechariah chapter 3, it's a prophecy, but it's also this vision that Zechariah receives. He sees this vision. I can't help but think what he would have been terrified to see as he look, had this vision. Because you see, they did take ritual cleansing very seriously. The high priest, once a year, was going to enter into the Holy of Holies, and he was going to offer a sacrifice for all of Israel. But he's going to do this once a year. Can you imagine the pressure on you? That there was so much pressure on this high priest to be clean, like my heart to be pure. So the whole week, there'd be this week of preparation and preparing himself and through all these different cleansings. And he would stay up all the night before and, and, they would, and there'd be other priests and different ones to help him, to, to encourage him and to help him and be there to help him uh, to, to make sure that his heart is pure and that his motives, but also his dress. And he would change these clothes over and over again. He would, he would do this and then he would change again and he would get clean again and again and again. And he would go in and he would offer this sacrifice. And what they would do, they would have two goats. One was called the scapegoat. The other was going to be the sacrificial lamb that was going to be slain for the people. And so literally they would, they would sacrifice this lamb. And as the blood is being poured out, he would be putting his hands on this, um, this, this animal and, and, and confessing the sins. And this, the sins of the people, and the picture of this would be the sins of the people are being passed on to this lamb and this sacrifice. This is the punishment. This is the payment for sin. But there'd be one goat that was the scapegoat, and it'd be let free. It'd be set free. And here is this picture of this day's coming, and Zechariah has this vision. And in this vision, here's the high priest. It's the day of atonement. It's time for the high priest to go in and offer forgiveness to the, to the or to go in to, to seek forgiveness for the people. And look what it says in verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Notice this picture and Satan standing at his right hand. What's Satan doing? Doing what he still does, accusing. Here's the high priest standing before the throne 
Here he is standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand ready to accuse him. Like, here's the lawyer coming after you. Like, listen, he is unclean. He's not fit for this job. Notice what it tells us. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. (laughs) The Lord looks at Satan. You're accusing Joshua that the Lord rebukes Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now, Joshua, notice what the vision would have been like. Remember, I just mentioned how much cleansing they would have done to prepare for this day. And Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. The way this reads in our modern translations may say filthy garments or unclean garments. The way it reads in the Hebrew is it's like it's excrement, it's urine, he's filthy, it's disgusting. This is the one who's supposed to be perfectly clean going to the Holy of Holies to go offer the sacrifice for the people of Israel for this one time a year moment. And here he is standing in clothes filled with excrement and Satan's at his right side ready to say, look, Lord, he's filthy. The angel said to those who were standing before him, notice, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And they clean him up, let them clean it, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by and the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts, you will walk in my ways and keep my charge. Then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts and I will give you the right of the access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant. Notice this. Here is a great prophecy of Jesus that we have this great privilege of knowing this Jesus. I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone, notice this, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. And notice this phrase. This is a great phrase to to underline and remind yourself. I will remove the iniquity of this land Notice this, not once a year, and you got to keep coming back, and you got to keep coming to offer your sacrifice to make yourselves clean again, and the, the high priest has got to come, and he's got to bathe himself and clean himself and do all these things and purify his heart just to be able to go in and offer a sacrifice. No, the Lord says, remove it. I will clothe you in a garment. Why? Because the branch, Jesus, is going to come, and here in one moment, in one day, will remove the iniquity of this land. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. It's a picture of the branch. We read John, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. Listen, we're to abide in Christ. He is this branch and that he is our redeemer. This is the name of this church, Redeemer Community Church. He is our redeemer and he came to clothe us. So what is the solution? The solution isn't clean yourself up. You need a whole new set of clothes. Another way it's described is this, because we're talking about the heart. You don't just need a heart cleanup. You don't need another a fix, like let's fix this problem. Guess what? That heart problem is going to come back eventually, or eventually your heart is going to die. But spiritually, what do you need? You can't just clean up your heart. 
You need a new heart. You need to be transformed. You need to be made whole again. You need to be renewed. And this is the picture that we get if you go all the way, you don't have to tonight, this morning, but if you go all the way to the end in, in Revelation 19, and when you get there, we get to see this beautiful picture of the clothing of the bride and, and, and or the bride of Christ as we're gathered together and clothed in fine linens, proclaiming what the Lord has done. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. You see, the only solution that we have, the only hope we have is Christ. Only hope, your only hope of cleansing, your only hope of being made whole and being cleaned is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who was slain. Because this, when I read this, when I taught through the minor prophets years ago, and this passage, I wrote in my notes, whenever I, whenever I read it the first time, and I wrote it here in red, and I put, this, I put this in this just one chapter. We have a deep need to be acceptable and righteous. There's this deep need, this longing inside of us to be accepted. You want to be accepted, and you want God to accept you, and so you might have tried a lot of things, and you just fall short, and you're like, God, I've tried everything, and it just, I, I mean, I've, I've made a list, and I'm trying to keep it. All right, I'm, I want to try to read my Bible three times this week, or maybe five times, or I'm going to try to pray more, or I'm going to try to, to keep your word. Okay, I've, I've, got a, I've got the Ten Commandments, and I put them on my mirror, and I'm going to, like, rehearsing them and trying to say, all right, today I'm not going to do these things. Listen, the law just exposes your need. It exposes that I can't save myself. I need a Savior. You can't make yourself clean. You need Christ. But see this picture and let that be you. Listen, if you've been clothed in Christ's righteousness, how do you get this kind of clothing? How do you get to be clean again? How can you be made clean? It is only through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. His death was sufficient payment. What he did in that single day was take on, rather than him being perfectly clean, he took on our filthy garments. He took on our sin. Rather than being prepared and all the priests helping him prepare for that day, his disciples abandoned him and left him on his own. And here he is, outcast. Instead of getting clothed, he's stripped. They strip him of his garments. They mock him. They spit in his face. They laugh at him and they nail him to a cross. The opposite of what we see with the Zacharias or, and, and, or the Joshua's and the other high priests. They were purifying themselves and cleansing themselves, hoping to be acceptable and to present a sacrifice to be accepted and be made clean. But all of it was just a picture pointing to the need of Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Redeemer. He is the solution. So what can you do? What do you need to do with this? Listen, one is this. Attack sin because sin is serious. I mean, the warnings in, in Mark 6 are pretty severe about the heart. Know that your hearts are desperately wicked. And that as Jesus has given you a new heart, guess what? You have this war, of this waging war within you of a new heart. But in this old nature, this nature that's still at war, as we see in Romans 7 with Paul. So listen, as Mar I think as Martin Luther said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Listen, actively pursue that. But here's the key. You're, 
you're not doing that to make yourself acceptable. You're doing it because you have been accepted. You desire to present yourself to this holy God. To say, God, I need you every hour I need you, like we sang last week. Lord, I need your help. I need your help in all these ways. I need your clothing. I need these things. Everything about me is in need. I'm a needy person, but you have been gracious to me. It's a faith. It's a trust in this God. And that is the only solution. So what's your response? How are you going to be actively trying to make yourself clean? Maybe for years you've been trying to do that. Maybe you've just like, man, I look at my life and I'm just like, I'm worthless. I'm not, I'm not good enough. I don't fit in. I don't, there's not, not accepted. There's, how could God ever accept me because I've done this or that? I've, I failed him in so many ways. Why would he ever love me? Did you see this picture in Zechariah 3? Here he is, clothed in excrement, these filthy rags, and he's standing in front of, here, he's completely unworthy to be accepted. But because the branch came, because Jesus came and died in a single moment, he could be made right. Why? Because 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin. He takes on the he takes on the filthiness. He took the, he took the brunt of that. He took the wrath of God upon himself. He became sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteous of God. We get clothed in his righteousness. So listen, this week, rather than focusing on what do I need to do to make sure I'm, I'm good with God and I'm right with God, just enjoy him, trust him, rest in him. Seek his face. Join him in relationship. Seek to know this God who would do these things for you. And rest in that. And the other warning, I think, is this, is making sure that we're not putting up and making traditions and putting on expectations on other people and even on ourselves of a standard they should do, because this is exactly what the Pharisees are doing. They're putting this tradition of the elders, and they're putting this weight on people and saying, well, you need to do this to be accepted by God. Well, make sure you're doing that. Listen, if it's outside the bounds of Scripture, it shouldn't be our tradition that holds someone against knowing and having a relationship with this God. And here they were holding it back. In Matthew, if we, one day when we look at that passage in Matthew, we see Jesus teaching on this. They were the blind guides. They were telling the people to do these things, but they, they weren't doing them themselves. They were hypocrites. These brood of vipers, as Jesus would even call them. So listen, the solution is Christ Jesus our Lord, and that's why we worship. We don't want to just offer lip service. Like Isaiah's, the warning in Isaiah, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship. I want to worship in spirit and truth. I don't want my worship to be vain. I want it to be authentic because it comes from a heart changed, transformed by the gospel. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for, wow, what a, what a descriptive picture we have here in, in Zechariah chapter 3. May we recognize our sinfulness, our brokenness, Father, I humbly confess that 
I could so easily focus on the problems of others, whether it's from a parent perspective, a spouse perspective, or a, and a pastor, and, and thinking of others. And so, Father, do these works first and foremost in my heart. Our hearts are desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. This is why we are amazed at your grace that you would choose to take our sin, our lack of honor, our lack of worship, our pride, and you'll take the weight of all of that to the cross and nail it to the cross so that we could be made clean. Father, thank you for your cleansing power. Thank you for the blood of Christ that was shed so that we could be made anew. Purify us, as David prayed in Psalm 51. Purify us. Make me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Do that work in my heart. Do that work in these families and these individuals and their hearts. God, draw us to this God of grace and mercy who would lavish his love by helping us. The only hope that we have is because of Christ and helping us to be clean and making us clean. To help us to respond with faith, worship, and relationship to this God who wants us to know you. And so thank you so much that you've pursued us. Thank you for the sacrifice, for the, pay, the payment for our sin. Help that to motivate us and, and shake us from our apathy and our pride. And live, us a li- live lives on mission. Live lives with a purpose. Live lives with a goal of knowing you and helping others to know you. So, Father, help us in these ways. Help us not to become prideful and thinking that we're good enough, that we could ever be good enough. Help us to always lean in on your grace. So, Father, help us to turn our eyes to you. Help us in all these ways. In Jesus' name, amen.